Fast Money starts right now, live from the NASDAQ market site overlooking New York City's Times Square. I'm Melissa Lear. Traders on the desk are Pete Najarian, Tim Seymour, Dan Nathan, and Guy Adami. Check out the after hours movers. Pinterest getting slammed after its first earnings report since its IPO. The conference call kicking off right now, plus two major chip makers, NVIDIA and Applied Materials, also reporting moments ago. Both stocks shooting higher. We'll bring you all the details. And Tesla coming to a screeching halt, nearing multi-year lows as Wall Street does a U-turn on the stock. It's now racked up 12 price targets cuts from analysts just this month. We'll tell you just how bad things could get. But we start off with the concrete consumer. Despite all the headwinds from trade tariffs to recession fears to soaring gas prices, it seems nothing has managed to knock down the great American consumer. And we saw more of that today. Walmart beating earnings estimates. We got some strong housing data. We saw jobless claims continue to fall. So as retail keeps rallying, is the consumer really the backbone of this market? How do you play it now, guys? Now you have to ask Melissa about ZZ Top. ZZ What's Top. ironic and about what ZZ, ZZ Top? What is the irony of ZZ Top? Frank Beard is the one is, guy without a beard. The one guy without Tremendous. a beard. Tremendous. Bravo. Can we, can we it do only took 12 years. When it's they do the years. thing, when somebody gets something right, no cares. How about if you see they leave me hanging? They, they're in the control room. Like let's leave them hanging. And I am going to proceed, with the, gonna proceed the with the show. One. So we've been. How long have we been doing this show? Long time. I almost brought 12 and a half years, as it turns out. Yeah. First time. First time, long time. But one thing I've learned is you can never bet against the U.S. consumer. It doesn't mean I think the consumer's in great shape, because quite frankly, I don't think the consumer's in great shape. If you look at delinquencies, they're going up. Auto loan delinquencies at nine-year highs. There are a list of reasons why the consumer should be basically tenting up, but they're not. And it manifests itself in one of two ways. They spend money and look at MasterCard Visa, all-time highs. We've talked about those stocks forever. And the fact that as long as the stock market, in my opinion, the ultimate barometer for consumer confidence, as long as the stock market keeps going up, consumers will continue to spend money. You saw this change October, November. They stopped on a dime. So as long as the market continues, the consumer's in great shape. Yeah, but real quickly, Guy, I mean, look at if you want to look at the stock market, let's look at retail stocks. They act absolutely horrible. The XRT, the ETF that tracks the retail, is down about 20% from its 52-week house. Look at your Home Depot, Pete. It literally can't get out of its, it's own It's your way. Home Depot, Pete. Yeah, yeah, it closed Depot. on the low today, down 8% in right. the last few weeks. Walmart's close was atrocious. It gapped up 4% this morning. Good results. They had yeah. some stuff in there that I think you could probably pick at, but it closed, you know, up one, one and a quarter percent. So retail stocks are telling you a slightly different story than the S&P 500's bounce over the last few days since that Monday uh, disaster. Tim's Macy is also my, 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 my sure. Uh, Tim's Macy's that my home wouldn't I? You know, it's, it's interesting though. If you take a look at different uh, levels of retail, or essentially new retail. So if you look at uh, Etsy and and it, you know, I don't know eBay, but there are certain. But let's look not at, look at Etsy. No, but but let's do it because <laughs> but if I look not. if I look at new age retail and some of these online guys, the the I buy ETF is up fifty percent over the last I buy. two years. I buy, and the point there is that. Yesterday's retail is not necessarily today's retail. So I agree with you looking at the XRT. It's been a death trade. It's down 13% against the S&P on rel- relative basis since early January. But I don't think that that's necessarily how you're gauging retail. I-, I don't know if it's a good read. I think when you look at the numbers themselves, though, the numbers were great. I think when I look at Walmart, the fact that it was up as much as it was today, probably up more than it should have been. And the reason I say that is I just look at where it's trading on a PE right now, mm. right? They do have some growth. The e-commerce growth was outstanding, 37%. You look at their transactional growth. 
growth 1%. You look at a lot of different numbers, and they were all very, very strong for them today. But the Home Depots of the world, Dan, let's not forget, this is now the time for them, right? I mean, this is Christmas in the springtime. That's what it is for Home Depot. So we'll find out in the next quarter how Home Depot is doing, because I think people are holding off right now. They're worried about the housing market in some cases. They shouldn't be. I mean, one of the things that I pitched a couple of weeks ago or whatever, actually it was back in December, was Lennar. And the reason I picked it, pick, pitched that one was it looked like the value was there. They've done a great job with acquisitions. They've done everything right. And now all of a sudden you hear and you see a great upgrade today of another one of the names in that, KB Homes. It's unbelievable how cheap these stocks still maintain where they are right now. And when they've got the rates where they are, I still think that there's plenty of upside for a lot of these home. And throw in Mohawk, for instance. That's another Let's stock that I pitched now. Why not? Why not throw in Mohawk? Second, trading at 21 times. This is it's too high of a P. Low single-digit grower for eternity. It right. probably is flat forever at some point in the next few years once they kind of get to a certain scale with their online growth. I think it's really important to look at Amazon. You know, when Amazon reported their Q1, they guided the Q2 to 18% year-over-year sales growth. That's half of what it was in Q2 of 2018. So what I'm saying is... Do you is, think that's competition, though, or do you think they're losing something somewhere else? I don't know. Ask Tim about his Macy's. Is it competition? What, no, no, I, I don't know. No, you're I, seeing I, e-commerce growth in a lot of different retail. I think you're wrong on Amazon. I mean, the fact that their growth is down, there's no arguing that. Yeah. But when I look at their fulfillment and their logistics and their commitment to essentially building out the chain that makes them stand out, and I don't care what Walmart does, they're not going to touch Amazon in terms of that. And therefore, this is a company that well, can turn on profitability. But they just, but they just it, said, well, can they turn on profitability? What did Walmart tell us this week? They're going to go to I'm not talking one about Walmart. day de- we're talking about competition. One day delivery. Okay, we saw this with all your hardline guys when they were trying to do this omni-channel thing. These stocks got murdered a few years ago when they started making those investments. So now we're going to have Walmart and Spending Amazon more. destroying each other well, on getting things to you within an hour. The other twist is the impact of the tariffs. I mean, we heard Walmart and yeah. Macy's basically say if there's another round of tariff increases, the consumer will feel the impact. Prices will probably have to go up. And what it, what and prices going up is, is code word for inflation. And we talked about that a week, a week or so ago, and we said one of the unintended consequences or of this trade like dispute. Maybe it's just a tax. Or a hidden tax. Whatever you want to call but it. doesn't the Fed distinguish between the two? I, oh, 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 oh. And isn't that that's what matters? That's a semantics game. That's, but that's what matters. Play, in, in, fair enough. Okay. Let's talk about Walmart quickly. You know, you talk about margins being hurt. Their margins are going to get hurt. And you look, inventories are up 3.5% year over year on sales growth of 1%. You know what? In this environment, margins contract at 21 times forward earnings. It's way too expensive. And I think Pete would agree with this, Tim and Dan as well. Target at almost half the valuation, which reports on May 22nd, I think is a better play. And I think those numbers are going to be great from them, by the way, because of the fact that they've really committed to the e-commerce and obviously redoing so many different stores. I mean, that's been in their model. They put in $7 billion into this project, and that's, I think, showing people, and I think people are seeing that. I think you're going to see the, the traffic going into the targets of the world because of what they're doing, and the margins are going to be better, Mel. They're not just focused on grocery the way Walmart is, and it's not that big of a pr- it's only 20%. At, at Walmart, you're talking 50-plus percent of it is coming from grocery. There's no margin there. And so that's why I think Target's still cheap. Would you buy it here, Pete? Yeah, I'd absolutely buy Where it. I'd myself. They happen to be in Minneapolis, okay. Minnesota, so downtown, true. right and on Hennepin Avenue. Also. Yeah, 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 i got to tell you, Brian Cornell, man, you are the man. Right, right. Look, the, the dollar is another side of this, though. If, if you think that there's inflation, actually, the strange thing about this is this is where the dollar is your friend. So the dollar should be actually offsetting a lot of this import price dynamic and the tariffs. I'm not saying that that's what you want. And typically, we talk about a strong dollar being a problem for multinationals. In the case of the domestic story, that's really what it is. And if you look at the market performed today, there really was this bifurcation between what 
was outperforming was something that was more domestic oriented and things that felt like they were more in control of their destiny versus if you look at emerging, they were down. It underperformed the S&P by 150 bips today. And the dollar is a big part of hey, that. Hey, Dan, I just looked just to correct you on one thing, though. Sure. I'm looking no. at Home Depot. It started the year at 172 and now it's 192. So it's not a lack of performance. Maybe recently it's pulled back. That absolutely is right. But from 172 to 192, so how did, that's you, not so what bad. What did you correct me about? I mean, the stock well, you said it's not doing anything. Two weeks, and the market's bounced a few percent this week. It can't so, get out of its own So way. you don't believe in the idea that a rotational market is a good thing? I don't know. So you I, don't want to see rotation so from one stock to another? When I look at consumer discretion, not just MAGA, I see bro. Booking.com and I see Expedia down 15% from their highs last year. They I haven't even sniffed them in this rally. Okay, I see Apple, which literally, it's not just consumer sensitivity here, but what do we see at retail sales numbers in China? Apple couldn't get their mojo back in China until they dramatically reduced prices. And then the uh, Which that was a mistake by them. Tim Cook made a mistake there. They priced it way too high. And once they corrected it, things started to clean up. But it was also because the value-added tax was cut. No doubt. I mean, that that was a huge tribe about the consumer and they shouldn't be... And you're focused on the phone still and you're focused on the wrong thing still at Apple. You guys are talking about Walmart. This is the place where people go for staples. This is where they go for the groceries. So you're going to have less sensitivity there, right? This mm. consumer discretionary. If I'm just looking at the stock market and what these stocks are telling me, it's telling me something different. If, if you calm down for a second, I mean, you'd think about, really, this is the same thing we've been talking about Walmart for a long time. This isn't, I, I agree with you. Um, I think any of the big box retailers are under pressure in terms of their labor costs, in terms of their input costs, in terms of a consumer that's not really moving the top line from. All of their growth is coming from groceries, and that's a trillion-dollar industry that's as competitive as any part of the retail chain. Right. Getting back to your comment, Guy, about Mm. inflation. All of these people, all this competition means deflation in terms of prices. Because of the competition. In ter- yes. It, it keeps A year ago, down. I, I agree with that. But it keeps, it keeps prices down. Keeps and and you prices. layer on top of that the fact that technology is such a huge yeah. driver. That's extraordinarily deflationary. But then you put on top of that the fact that this trade dispute, whatever you want to call it, it's not ending anytime soon, in my opinion. And I've been pretty steadfast on that. This is now... May. This started in March of last year, and I don't think we're any closer than we were then. I would go as far to say mm. we might be farther apart than we were then. Is it farther or further? Further. Further. I, farther I meant to say distance. further. Farther yeah. in distance. Right. Well, they're, they're far away from us. That's true. Probably not farther. I mean, China further and the U.S. haven't moved. It's further in the future. Um, anyway, well, if you're looking for a way to bet on the consumer, our next guest says there are three names to buy now. Let's go off the charts with Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Ari, take it away. Hi, Melissa. Well, to say retail's been a mixed industry is really an understatement. You have your haves and have-nots. The equal-weighted XRT, which puts more emphasis on the smaller retail stocks, actually recently falling to a new multi-year relative low versus the S&P 500. That indicates to us you want to bet on the more the larger cap, higher growth names in the group. Be selective. I got three names for you. Along with those macro thematics, along with good charts, also all three rated outperform by Oppenheimer Fundamental Research. Let's start with the biggest of them all. Amazon decline had its decline in the fourth quarter. It based through the first quarter of this year as now breaking out to the upside. We can see the 200 days starting to take a riser tilt. We see this as a resumption of Amazon's long-term uptrend. I think come next year, we're going to be talking about new highs for Amazon. Next one, Costco. Interesting about this one, came right up into its September 2018 peak. That was resistance. It's paused there, now showing to start and show some signs of starting to finally break higher. That's a sign of new buying demand. We see signals like that to add to position. This is really where the stock could start to accelerate higher. 
Good trend going into it. Costco, another attractive stock in that space. And finally, Ulta Beauty, ULTA. Brought this one back to 2017 to show that the strength we've had, specifically the March gap higher, that broke through multi-year resistance for Ulta. Uh, typically, former resistance becomes support. We're seeing some consolidation there. That's healthy. More importantly, we think the next big move is going to come to the upside. More broadly, Ari, is, is there any, uh, is there predictive natures to how retail stocks do when it comes to forecasting what the broader markets do? You know, w- whether we're talking about any of these offensive cyclical areas, retail, semis, small caps, banks, what's most important is that they participate in absolute terms. Not that they have to lead relatively. They, in fact, uh, so you could have a very strong market with, it, with retail especially underperforming. As long as they participate in absolute terms, and they are holding support. They haven't broken out yet, but they, they're participating. I think the market is fine. like to see them get going a little bit more than they have, especially on the small cap side. But I think as a market tell, we're okay. All right. Ari, great to see you. Thank you. Ari Wald of Oppenheimer. Pete, which of the stocks do you like? I love Costco. The only issue I have, though, is I'm looking at that P.E. trading somewhere around 30. Seems a little bit high for me right now. So as much as I like them, and as th- this has been a great run. And I look at a name that's not on that list like a Lulu. I got to tell you, absolutely love the company. But now it's up in this sort of uh, an area, too, where I'm starting to look at the P.E. going, yeah, you know what, maybe it's a little too much too fast. Right. But I like Costco a lot. I love everything about what they're doing, some of the growth strategies that they've put on. Obviously, they've got that great model that they've got where everybody's paying per year. All of those things are great. But 30 times P.E., that, that makes them vulnerable. What's say Wednesday, right? So on Monday, Carter Braxton Worth. Yeah, it's, it's close enough. Uh, Carter, Carter Worth <laughs> talked about exactly Costco, and we backed them up saying on a very bad day, which Monday was, Costco held in there. So I agree there. Amazon, 2025, August 27th of last year's high. We didn't get there. Major double top, in my opinion. Ulta Beauty in their earnings at the end of this month at 23 times forward earnings. Sounds expensive. It's not. not. It's not, not expensive. Dan. That's the stock. I agree. I agree. Up 40% this year. Not underperforming, Dan. Coming up, we're oh. all over the app there. Cool. Pinterest getting slammed. Applied materials and NVIDIA soaring. A top chip analyst will be here to tell you the best buys in the semi-space. Plus, Wall Street scrapping Tesla. The stock getting 12 price target cuts from analysts this month. We'll tell you why they are making a sudden U-turn. And later, healthcare is the worst performing sector this year. But Tim here stepping up to the plate to pitch one name he says is showing signs of life. We're live from Times Square in New York City. Much more Fast Money right after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Tesla shares lower today after major shareholder T. Rowe Price unloaded more than 80% of its stake in the first quarter. This was revealed in an SEC filing. Uh, the rest of Wall Street also making a U-turn on Tesla. The electric automaker hit with 12 price targets this month alone. We're only halfway through. Evercar, RB, RBC Capital, and Cowan among those tapping the brakes. Shares have really screeched to a halt this year, now down 31%, sitting at a new two-year low. So just how bad can things get for this stock, Pete? It could get worse. I mean, Danny Ives was out there. He was a longtime bull, right? And he all of a sudden jumps off. He says, look, we're not seeing the same kinds of demands. They're going to have to raise some money. The guidance seems pretty aggressive. I mean, there's all kinds of things out there. And obviously, 80% of a position being taken off by somebody as big as that, T. Rowe Price, that's a little bit of an ominous sort of a thing that people are really jumping off the ship. We haven't seen that type of thing at Tesla before. So... 
I, I would be nervous, and I don't know why we can't test something closer towards 200 rather than going back. The kicker to the T. Rowe Price position reduction is that in the fourth quarter, they also cut their position dramatically. Yeah. Right. So this is an 80 percent reduction of a position of a that was massively reduced, I, I yeah. believe, by 50 percent. Well, in fact, they've been selling on average 83,000 shares a day for the last six months. So um, someone got smart there and understood that this is a story that doesn't have growth, that has major balance sheet issues, that has major corporate governance issues. Um, and, and, oh, and by the way, right, I mean, Pete talked about demand. I think that may be the biggest issue here. So, you know, leaving all that aside, um, it's interesting to me that the price action of the stock is is very different now that you have essentially a retail base uh, and you've lost the three biggest institutional investors. Don't forget about Saudi Arabia, which cut their position, and then Fidelity. So you have a dynamic here where for a while the stock was not responding to fundamentals. You talk about guidance, by the way. Do we still really expect 90 to 100,000 deliveries in the second quarter? Um, I, I, I think that is incredibly awesome, awesome Mark. When I was a kid, I used to watch game shows. A long time ago. Did they have game shows? I'm going to make a point here. No, there's actually a station now that replays them. And one of my favorites was Press Your Luck. No whammies. Remember that one? (laughs) No whammies. And I bring it up because Tim Seymour has been pressing his short on this stock extraordinarily successfully. Well done. He's going to hit a whammy? No, I, you know where he's hit the whammy? Well, I, funny you should ask. get me, by the way? No, the whammy, oh, you're geez. out. Why, no whammy, you don't want a whammy. Yeah. But I'll tell you where the whammy yeah. might be. Whammy it comes in the form of 175 to 180, which was the low in November of 2016, to Pete's earlier point. All right, Boom. you guys have to calm down here. And I want to tell my friend at Wall Street Cynic to chill out for a second here because Uh-oh. I just got to say one thing. <laughs> The sentiment has never been worse in this it's stock. It's pretty right terrible now. right it's now. It's ground down. There's like 10 buys, 11 holds, 15 sells. Short interest is as high as it's been. It's almost at 30%. The thing feels like, what would we call it, Mel? A little bit of a... Coiled kind of spring. Coiled spring. Oh, yeah. mm. Just like trees don't grow to, grow the, to sky. the sky. Stocks no, don't grow. It's catching up with fundamentals. I don't... Okay, that's do fine. I Tim, I'm just... <laughs> Just calm down Seriously. for a sec. You seem a little hyper. No, I, I just, that's <laughs> not me tonight. That's, I think you're looking <laughs> in the mirror, me. pal. Anyway, so, finish right. your thought, please. Finish Dan. your thought. Because it's actually Everybody getting, it's had a turn. Everybody had a turn. It's, it's Dan's confusing. turn now. Yeah. Okay, go down. The stock's down 40%. Short interest really high. Sentiment is atrocious. And it may be catching up the fundamentals, but it doesn't seem that stock has been trading off deliveries for some time. People are starting to discount it. I'd just say be very careful pressing your short right here. For more on Tesla and why Wall Street just seems to be turning on the stock, go to tradingnation.cnbc.com. I'm Melissa Lee. You're watching Fast Money on CNBC. Here's what else is coming up on Fast. Uber is picking up speed after a rough debut. And now there's a new way to trade the stock that could send shares into overdrive. We'll explain. Plus, Tim Seymour is stepping up to the plate to pitch one healthcare stock that's outperforming the rest of the sector. He'll explain why he thinks the stock will stay on top when he gives us his fast pitch. There's much more fast money after this. Welcome back to Fast Money. Check out shares of NVIDIA and applied materials surging in the after-hour session. Let's get to Seema Modi back at headquarters with more. Seema. Melissa, strong guidance from applied materials and also talk about stabilization in NAND. Pricing is enough to give a lift to shares, which are up about 6% in after-hours. The company also said that the semiconductor industry, while five years ago smartphones drove the majority of semiconductor semiconductor capital investments, that is quickly changing with AI, the big data era, becoming new drivers. The company is betting on a pickup in growth in the back half of the year and a more favorable environment in 2020. Still, the company's CFO, Daniel Dern, reluctant to call this a bottom. 
In Q2, Applied delivered solid financial results in a challenging environment. While we're still not ready to call the bottom of the semi-equipment cycle, I believe our industry thesis is very much intact. New demand drivers are taking shape. Now, on the topic of China, when it comes to China domestic spending, the company says we're in a great position and expect we're going to maintain a very strong share position in China. Speaking of chips, Applied Materials is not the only company reporting numbers. NVIDIA also reported better than expected results. Shares are up by around 7% in extended trade, and that conference call is about to start. Melissa, for now, back to you. All right, thank you very much, Seema Modi. Let's get the trade on this. Uh, Dan. I, I think AMAT is pretty interesting, actually, because they actually make the equipment that uh, you know makes chips, and I think that that commentary um, seemed pretty good. This is a pretty cheap stock trading about 11 times next year's earnings. Really good balance sheet here. So it, they, you know, they sound cautiously optimistic. That's the sort of tone that you want to hear, especially when one of their big customers like Intel sounded so horrible over the last few weeks. So to me, AMAT seems one that was likely to have some legs here. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the concerns that we heard over the last couple of weeks, to your point. I was pretty worried about this going into both NVIDIA and into AMAT. And actually, the very calm sound of what AMAT said, which was, hey, look, we're not calling a bottom, but things seem to be improving, and it looks like a better second half, and there's going to be some new areas of demand. Those are pretty positive things, Mel. And so because of that and the inexpensiveness of the stock in AMAT's case, I don't know how you wouldn't want to own some of these different names in here. Yeah, I have to say, I mean, NVIDIA, which looked like it was caught in this high multiple you know, down draft of a lot of the semis really delivering uh, on terms of GPU revenue. Uh, the PC touring demand is there, very much there. And this is even without crypto, as we talked about yesterday on the show. That was a big reason the stock fell under pressure. But their core business is alive and well. Hey, Matt, you saw the margins hang in there, which I think is very important. Eleven and a half times forward earnings to Dan and Pete's point. Extraordinarily important. The fact that the third quarter guide wasn't a that disaster. As a matter of fact, they sort of tweaked it higher, I think is really good. So at $44.50, being that this was a $63 stock in March or so, despite the fact that it's rallied significantly, I still think there's room to the upside. I think the most important thing that happened in chips today was that uh, the reaction to some of these names that have exposure to Huawei. Um, you saw Xilinx down at 7% or something like that. That stock, your stock, has been killed off those mm. highs. You made a great call back now at 89 See, when it's wrong, back it's mine. When it's mine. wrong, it's yours. But I, I think it'll be really interesting to see if these stocks can bounce back with NVIDIA and AMAT tomorrow and if it was just a one-day blip. All right. For more on a, uh, of a breakdown into NVIDIA earnings as well as AMAT, uh, let's bring in Mitch Steves, Equity Research and Semiconductors Analyst at RBC Capital. Welcome back, Mitch. It's great to have you with us. Yeah, thanks for having me. Are you uh, comfortable or would you be comfortable at this point saying the worst is over for NVIDIA? I would say the worst is over probably the data center side. I think uh, luckily this was in print. I think the expectations for gaming were too low. Uh, people expected units to be down again sequentially Q over Q in addition to an ASP decrease when we know that last year peak cryptocurrency revenues were in January and those are the lowest end SKUs. So I think we're coming off a bottom on the data center side. I was actually shocked honestly by the data center number. I thought it'd be a lot better than that. I thought it would be around 500 million. But the fact that AMAT is out saying that you know data centers are going to become a bigger portion, they're kind of giving you the wink, wink, nod, nod that uh, data center demand will pick up. So that'll be a good, uh, good news for NVIDIA in the back half. You know, AMAT's uh, guidance in terms of, well, I don't want to say guidance, but what they said about not being willing to call the bottom right now of the semiconductor capital equipment cycle, it sounded almost like we're, they, were, they see sort of the end in sight. They see the light at the end of the tunnel. How do you, how do you drive that with the other data points that we've seen so far from this sector? 
Yeah, so it's interesting. When you say, you know, not calling a bottom, is that a stock price concern number? Is that a fundamentals <coughs> number, right? So the fundamentals, I think, are going to bottom somewhere around Q3. Um, that's been our call since the beginning of the year, but I think the stock already bottomed back in January. Uh, so essentially, if he's saying that it's going to bottom sometime at the end of the year, people are not going to do the math and try to time it out uh, for an extra quarter, so they're probably going to work higher from here. I think the most important thing that actually came up in that call was the fact that he said 2020 is probably up, and so now your EPS number for 2020 becomes de-risked, uh, assuming that Q4 comes in and is not down dramatically year over year. Does the AMAT and what, what they said on the call, does that make you more bullish on certain other semiconductor stocks within your coverage universe? Yeah, that makes me double down on the same bets we're starting at the beginning mm -hmm. of the year. I'm doubling down on AMD. I think people still don't understand that from a technology perspective, uh, they're going to gain a lot of share from Intel, in my opinion, because people have looked at performance per chip at all, at all times, but really the key metric now is performance per watt. That's the entire reason why NVIDIA saw their data center go up, because while the GPU uses a lot of power consumption, uh, the reason why it's actually useful is because it does better uh, calculations per watt. And so if you were to buy a high-end Intel server, your cost when you use the electricity, very similar to something like crypto mining, when you use the electricity, you're spending $45 million more on electricity when the total server cost was $10 million. So you could quite literally give it away for free. People are still going to choose AMD. Hey, Mitch, quick question for you. Pete Najarian, Mellanox, that whole, the Mellanox Technologies, was mm -hmm. that the right move? Did they overpay? How do you feel about that acquisition? I feel like it was a, a little bit of a defensive move, but it wasn't a, a move that they did. They, damages the core business. Essentially, by getting Mellanox, they push Intel out of the way. I think the most telling thing was the fact that the slide deck NVIDIA put out there was only nine pages, right? So basically, they said they came in, they topped Intel's bid, and in order to do that, they pushed them out of the data center even more. So they're going to highlight the fact that Intel's data center business is in decline, and that's probably why they did it. So I think it's a good acquisition. I don't think it's a game changer. Probably adds somewhere around 40 cents to EPS in 2020. But again, it's, it's, it's more of like an add-on versus a, a structural change to the business. Mitch, synopsis into earnings, I think, on the 22nd. Interesting, 25 times forward earnings, huge move already. Do you stay with that name? It's one of your favorite picks, I believe. Yeah, it's still our top pick. I think that people get kind of drawn into the whole AI, 5G, IoT, throwing every single you know, buzzword you can. And what people don't realize is you can't make a single chip without synopsis or cadence. And so essentially, with their guidance set up for something, I think, like 3 4% growth in the back half, I think that's going to be a lot higher. I think they can even grow double digits this year. So I think you're going to see numbers keep going up higher there. And people who want exposure to all those kind of buzzwords without the risk of having to choose the winner are going to start investing more and more money into synopsis and cadence. Mitch, thanks. Good to see you. Mitch Steves of RBC Capital. What are we saying? You're in Intel. You like Intel stuff. Yeah, I like Intel. And, and again, to me, Intel has, has found themselves very much in data center, very much in areas that I think are, are somewhat commoditized, but it's a diversified model. If you look at the SMH overall, again, this pullback from 120 down to you know, roughly 107 is, is at an extreme to where I think the market is, the higher beta. This is all about trade war. This is all about you know, the, the obvious choice, which is uh, let's sell that's most connected to China. Yeah, I would just say that you know, the SMH ETF that tracks the semiconductor group, it's up about 2% as of today's close from those Monday lows. Let's see if NVIDIA and AMAT can hold these games in the aftermarket, and let's see if Xilinx and some of the names affected by the Huawei ban catch a bid. If they don't, then you know your answer to which way the semiconductors are going. 
All right, let's get a check on our other earnings movers as we head to break. Pinterest getting slammed after its first report as a public company. We'll hear from the CEO. And speaking of new IPOs, check out Uber. Nearly round-tripping from its IPO price just a week ago. And a new way to trade the stock could put it on the route higher. Those details in Fast Money Returns. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got an earnings alert on Pinterest. That stock plunging after hours following its first ever earnings report. Aditi Roy's in San Francisco with the latest. Aditi. Hi, Melissa. Shares are down more than 15% after hours upon a big earnings miss after being up as much as 8% before the close. Let's dig into these numbers now. Analysts were looking very closely at the number of users. The company reported 291 million monthly active users. That's up 22% year over year. However, that's a slower rate of growth than the 37% in 2017 and in 18. Those refer to global users. If you're looking at the U.S. only, monthly active users grew only 6 6% this year. Average revenue per user globally was 73 cents, up 26% year over year. Analysts were also looking for international growth. And if you break down revenue, top line growth internationally was 107% versus U.S. growth, which was 51% year over year. Investors also looking for any color on the company's path to monetization. CEO Ben Silberman addressed products for advertisers during the call. We've also made progress on improving our products for businesses and advertisers and diversifying our advertiser base. We've doubled the international markets where we serve ads, we've streamlined retailers' ability to upload their catalogs to Pinterest, and we've made video available for all advertising objectives. Upon an analyst question, the company added what advertisers say they like about the platform is the opportunity to find new customers. And we'll have much more on Pinterest on Mad Money. CEO Ben Silberman will be on Mad Money tomorrow night. Back to you, Melissa. Thank you very much, Aditi Roy in San Francisco. Let's trade this. And I learned something very shocking this afternoon shocking. in the green room ahead Uh-oh. of the show, and that is that Pete... <laughs> actually put on a trade on Pinterest. I did. I did. On May 8th, they had some unusual option activity in there. They were wrong. They, if, had I taken some off today into this big run in before the earnings, actually into tonight's earnings, I'd have done okay. But because I didn't and I was waiting for the earnings, and it, it's absolutely going to go to zero. That being said, well, all I'm hearing on the call sounds to me pretty negative. I mean, I, I, the, the growth rate slowing, 22% down from 37%, that's a pretty massive drop, actually. So I think there's a lot of different concerns right now for Pinterest. I would stay away for now. I think they've got to prove it to us now that they can grow that user base much faster. And the U.S. losses, that's the part that's very concerning. Only growing at 6%, that's pretty pathetic. Should we go to you, or are you going to have the same reaction as you had to Etsy? Well, I mean, listen, you know, Etsy... <laughs> I got, I got a little trigger. Tim said Etsy, and it was like a new, I, I actually switch. would put Pinterest as new, new retail. And, and, you know, one of the things that we were talking about going back last month to Google, one of the things that's really hurting some of Google's um, advertising growth is Amazon. People are going there, and they're starting to search. So I actually think Pinterest is a really very unique um, property, and, and for the very reasons that they're talking about. So if you're telling me that monthly active users are declining, we've seen this before. We've seen it in Snap. We've seen it in Twitter. It's a really tough slate or a tough way to go right out of the gate to nail it. Um, the good thing is the stock was up 50% from its IPO at $19, you know, a little more than a month ago. So to me, I don't know, it probably bangs around between somewhere in the 20s. Yeah, I mean, I, I just think the monetization is the biggest issue right now. It's not about that we... D- don't see a company making money. It's about when are they really going to uh, tell us 
what the margins can look like in the future when we finally get to it's a 16 billion dollar company on a lot of promise i you know um i don't think you need to touch it either all right from an earnings debut to an options debut uber options trading for the first time today so dan what'd you see yeah really interesting action today Fifty-six thousand or so options traded a lot of short dated calls trading Uh, But there was one trade that kind of caught my eye on the first day. Obviously, this has been a very high-profile deal. When the stock was trading at 42.40 earlier in the day, there was a buyer, it appeared to be, of 7,500 of the January 2021 um, 25 strike puts, paying uh, $2.85. Obviously, uh, in almost 19 months, those break even if they are actually a purchase um, down, you know, 50% or so. And it's really hard. Hard to gauge what these are, obviously, without knowing who's doing them and why. I look at something like that on the first day of options trading after a new IPO has been very volatile and disappointing. Maybe that is an early investor who's locked up for a bit, just looking to kind of have some protection at a price very long dated. For more options action, check out the full show tomorrow, 5.30 p.m. Eastern Time. Still ahead, healthcare, the worst performing sector this year, but showing signs of life of late. Pete and Guy have been all over the move, and now they're helping Tim over there at the Plasma pitch his own healthcare stock. Find out the name he's watching when Fast Money returns. Welcome back to Fast Money Healthcare, showing signs of life today and following the rest of the market higher. The sector, though, still the worst performing sector this year, up only 2% year to date. But mm. back in April, huh. Guy pitched one healthcare name that he said was about to break out United Health. We get it's a great company. We get it's a great valuation. We get that earnings aren't disrupted. As a matter of fact, they guided slightly higher for the next quarter. Market doesn't seem to care. You add all that up, I think the rhetoric goes away. The picture's what were you a home wearing? run, although the shirt was a disaster. Oh, no, yeah. remember that guy on Twitter lost was called a the clown like a I mean, that shirt You're was terrible. But, but the pitch, United Health soared 11%. Yeah, it did. Pitch, and you say to yourself, 11%, is it over? Is that what you say to yourself? Yeah, no, well, and I'll tell you, you know why it's not over? Because today or yesterday, one of these days, the last week, Citibank said, you know what? We're going to raise, we're going to make it a buy instead of neutral. We think this stock is going higher. All of a sudden, you don't hear, what's the guy's name from Vermont talking about Sanders. Medicare. Yeah, Bernie Sanders. Talk. All of a sudden, all the noise is gone, which means these stocks should continue to float higher. Not gravitate, levitate. Did you get rid of that shirt? No. It's horrible. I'm going to wear it tomorrow, right. wise guy. You well, I'm green, actually. My wife Pfizer, also one of the names rallying today after Credit Suisse named it a top pick, setting confidence in the drug maker's pipeline. That was something Pete here actually pointed out in his fast pitch back in February, uh, January. Now, there's not a lot of growth in revenues right now. You look at earnings, all the rest of that. But when you look at the pipeline and you see 25 to 30 drugs in the pipeline by 2022 that likely are going to make it to market, at least they think so, 15 of them are in the blockbuster category. That really says a lot to me. Pfizer's actually down 2% since that call, but Pete, given the predictions, what do you what do? You do I still like it going head? forward. I, I, I love this. I mean, from a valuation standpoint, of course, Pfizer looks great. Actually, they give you great dividend yield as well, but it's all about the pipeline right now. Had a great 2018. It's been sluggish so far this year. Almost you should anticipate some of that. I still think this stock goes higher, and I love, I'll wait because I'm patient with Pfizer. All right. Well, with both Pete and Guy betting on a healthcare recovery, mm. Tim here had to join in with a healthcare heavy hitter of his own. Tim's turn to step up to the plate, Tim. 
I am stepping up, Mel. And I, Johnson & Johnson is $366 billion company that's underperformed the sector this year. And let's talk about why. I mean, most of that really is a function of the talc scare. They just had a pharma day. And I, you know, I want to underscore that the pharma side of their business is probably the most interesting part. That's the part that, to me, uh, will be trading somewhere north of 6% in terms of a CAGR. I mean, top-line growth relative to their peer group. That's the best growth you have in this sector. That, to me, immunology, oncology, these are the places where their pipeline is very, very full. Uh, and it's a company that I think on valuation in pharma, which probably is trading around 13 times, it, when, you, when you value J&J, you really should have a blended multiple. Pharma is 13 times. Uh, let's talk about the devices. Again, this is another place where uh, medical devices, which is a core part of their business, is, is showing some life and back from the dead. It's not that we're going to see top-line growth north of 10%, but again, you're seeing positive 60 to 80 basis points for a business that actually was contracting at some point. So good news there. And finally, again, if we look at their consumer business, they, the, the baby powder scare and the talc story uh, two days ago at their pharma analyst day, they, you know, they, they reiterated that their talc is safe. And this is something where if you want to trade this stock back from 148 is where they were when actually this scare went through. So um, if I look at a chart on the stock, ultimately, that's really the dynamic we're looking at. If you think about it, this is kind of where we were. Look at that. I almost drew a pretty good circle. I'm not even a technical guy. So you, you follow that. And then ultimately, this is where you went. And from this point, actually, while they've been underperforming the sector, this has actually been the best chart of the group. And it's a function of this that you're getting that underperformance. So to me, obviously, 148 is where resistance is on a sum of the parts. Actually, I could make an argument this is $160 stock right now. Uh, I think the street is somewhat mixed on the name and rightly so. Hey, Tim, I got a quick one for you. How concerned are you, though, about the, this issue that they've got going forward from here? I mean, I see a little bit of that recovery you're talking about, but is that still concerning? And how long is this going to linger on? Uh, look, I, I think that the market obviously acted first. Johnson & Johnson, their reputation certainly has, has, has been reliant upon uh, their place in keeping our babies safe and everything else related to the consumer side of their business. Um, so I, I, I think they're going to have to earn the trust back, although, again, I don't think they're going to tell you that they did anything wrong, and they're holding steadfast to that. I think it's the pharma business that really is the part that you have the drivers. All right, no more questions. It's time to vote. Are you buying Tim's pitch on J&J? Guy Adami, what Yeah, well, this is what I put on my board. Tim won't like this, but I put the Mets lost because the Mets lost, and I can't stand the Mets. But I'll say this. I do like it because it's not just a pharma company. Medical device. Buy it, even though yeah, they had the sack. Yeah, but I had So, yes, I like it. I think it should trade higher. All right. Uh, Dan. He's got me thinking of babies. I, I'm not. Gonna, I'm going to split the baby here, and I'm going to say you sell this thing. Oh, I don't know why you would take their word for it that their talc is safe. Until that's quantifiable, there's a plenty of other names I think you can go to that have similar characteristics. Split decision so far. Danny Downer. I'm nervous about that, as Dan is, but I still think with the pipeline and the drug side of things, Tim's right. I think the stock does go higher, and I think it retests those highs. It might take a little time. Did you run out of time? I, I ran out of ink or, or something. Or? I don't know what These happened. These pens, yeah. I, the pens are the pens Lousy. Lousy. Shot. Really? Remember Evan, yeah. the, the, the intern that Love comes Evan. in with the pen? He's the page. It's not an intern. It's, it's, he's got to get us new pens. All right. Well, after he's flipping the burgers, we'll send him out to get the pens. <laughs> um, the more important question here is, are you at home buying Tim's pitch for J&J? Vote on our Twitter poll at CNBC Fast Money. You'll hear Tony Braxton. I mean, we're going to reveal whatever it may be later on in the show. Live at the NASDAQ and Times Square. Much more Fast Money is still ahead. Welcome back to Fast Money. We've got a news alert on Luckin Coffee pricing its IPO. This company, it 
considered a rival to Starbucks in China. Leslie Pickers back at headquarters with more. Leslie. Hey, Melissa. Luckin Coffee pricing its IPO at $17 per American depository share. That's according to a source close to the deal or two sources close to the deal to the deal. That's at the top end of the range it had been marketing to investors. I'm told they also upsized the number of ADSs they plan to offer investors, now $33 million, up from $30 million. So at that price point, along with a private placement by Louis Dreyfus, the Chinese coffee chain will raise about $614 million in the deal. That price also implies a market cap of $4.2 billion. Now, Luckin's losses are about, to, about double the size of its revenue, $241 million million dollars in losses compared with 125 million dollars in net revenue. More than 100 million of that comes from sales and marketing expenses and discounts to get more customers in the door and drinking their coffee. The name Starbucks did not make its way into Luckin's F1, but it remains Luckin's largest rival in China. Luckin says in the filing that it plans to be the largest coffee network in China in terms of number of stores by the end of 2019. Its products are offered at a steep discount to Starbucks's. Luckin was founded only a year and a half ago, but has already grown to more than 2,300 stores. It's that scalability plus the potential opportunity of converting a primarily tea-drinking nation of a billion people to coffee. That's behind the investor demand. Melissa. All right. Leslie, thank you. Leslie Picker. There are um, differences, though, between the two, even though they're compared to each other because uh, Starbucks is the only. First of all, Luckin's footprints are generally smaller. A lot of the locations don't have any places where you actually sit down, unlike Starbucks's footprints. And also they're completely cashless stores. So they really are catering towards this new sort of millennial coffee drinker. Doesn't use cash, uses the phone to pay, swipe and go, carry it away. And there you have your coffee. It's considered a tech company on some level, especially if you think about the, how the IP was, was pitched. And it's a company that, if you think about year over year for the first quarter growth, I mean, has absurd growth, right? It, it's almost 40 times year over year growth based upon the first quarter. So that's what people are tapping into. They're tapping into Chinese demographics. It makes a lot of sense. Obviously, culturally, uh, the question is, can they do the China culture, coffee culture better than, than a U.S. company can? It's, it's very possible. Um, I think right here and now, this is, again, one of these names that people are going to be watching because it, it looks like another one of these unprofitable unicorns. Right. But at the same time, when you take a look at the IPO landscape, there's a scarcity value to luck and in that it's a play in the Chinese consumer. And we haven't had the opportunity no for an IPO to play the Chinese consumer yeah, in a long so time. Yeah, so for not for too many U.S.-based companies, I just think it's pretty interesting given the dynamics between this trade war that we're in right now. We have Chinese companies tapping into our capital markets, getting our investors to subsidize their coffee drinking over there. That being said... To beat a U.S. company. To, yes. To, to beat a, <laughs> it, 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 there's something funny about all that, right? But it is this, this massive opportunity, I think. I, I don't know. Do they, do they drink coffee over there? I mean, like, that's the thing. <laughs> do they yes, drink, oh, you need, they do. Yes, they, they drink coffee. <laughs> Starbucks has been there for 20 years. Yeah. yeah. And the star, there was a Starbucks in the Forbidden City, but it recently changed to Luckin. There you go. Guys, Starbucks there's so much in the city. Well, first of all, cashless coffee place where you can't sit down is not really my cup of tea. No pun intended. <laughs> but Starbucks, well done. you know, at Starbucks reported That's at the cute. end of April, I mean, it was an okay quarter. It wasn't a great quarter. Comps were okay. Everything was okay. At 26 times forward earnings, do you want to buy Starbucks here in the wake of this in, uh, competitive landscape? 
I say no. I say you take profits. Bill Ackman is, so you probably should be I as would well. say this. The scalability is interesting, right? But the losses are also very interesting. I think people have to focus on that. So if this thing's getting priced on the higher end, I think you can be very, very patient about this whole thing. I, don't, I wouldn't be jumping in. Very much like Lyft, very much like Uber, I'd be a flipper right out of the gate. Yeah, I think you know, Starbucks, to me, is a name you can buy based upon their valuation right now. All right. Uh, we do have a quick programming note. You can catch Luckin Coffee's CFO tomorrow on Squawk Box before the stock begins trading. Up next, we've got the final trades and the results of our Twitter poll. There's still time to vote, so do so. We're back in two. Welcome back to Fast Money. You know what Tim loves listening to when he's shopping for Johnson & Johnson's baby shampoo, Neutrogena <laughs> face wash. Cue the Tony Braxton. Oh. Twitter is not buying his pitch for J&J. More than 60% uh, of our viewers version. are not voting, are voting no on uh, the pitch. I got wow. the dance version that was especially bad. It's, it was not, it was 60%. I've, we've seen worse for sure. <laughs> we have. For sure. Thank Time for the tra- final trade, uh, Pete. I do love these housing stocks. Lennar will get you done. Giddy up. Tim. Well, I'm going to stand in the pocket and choose J&J. I think this is a mega cap name with some growth at a great valuation. Get there. Uh, yeah, Boeing, we didn't talk about it today or yesterday, but I think this thing is not done going down. I think you sell it on rallies, Boeing. Oh. I, I can't it, tell you how f- this song is so miserable. I mean, it's, it's <laughs> about that as bad. bad as it gets. You like dance? You like disco? I don't dance. I do dance so well. There you go. You are a great dancer. Music. Can I see it? You know what's going to dance see. higher? You can't Tim? unsee it. Oh, stop. Oh, boy. That's That does it for us. See you back here tomorrow at 5 for more Fast. Meantime, Mad Money starts now.